Welcome to Practical Knowledge for Personal Development, or PKPD for short, a pharmacy podcast where we explore the various ways to grow as a person and pharmacist by discussing common questions asked by pharmacy learners. Our ambition is to see our listeners achieve their personal and professional goals. This episode is part one of a three-part series discussing the transition between student, resident, and career. All right. How are you doing, Hunter? I'm good. I'm I'm getting to feel that transition process going right now of like, yeah, I'm going from PGY2 to job, but it's kind of nice reflecting back on when I was a student and seeing myself in that same situation of like, oh, got to register for law exam, got to find a new apartment. And I can just imagine all of the, the newly matched residents or those that have their first job offer. And they're like, all right, where do I start? Exactly. Yeah, I feel like you, out of all people, definitely uh, can have some, you definitely have some good advice that you can share with us as far as moving um, forward from PGA2 into a job. So, so starting off with this three-part series, we're part one, we're going to look at the transition from being a student to a resident, which is probably the biggest shock <laughs> of the three different ser- three parts of the series. Yeah. And that's why the very first piece of advice we're going to give is, oh my gosh, celebrate your accomplishment. You've, you've made it so far. You've made it this far. You, you know where you're going next, but before you start, like, what I'm saying is don't do what I did where like on match day, what do I do? Start registering for the MPJE, start registering for the NAPLEX. Like, oh my gosh, take a second and take a deep breath and be like, I did it. I'm I'm getting ready for the next phase and really celebrate your accomplishments. Again, like like our previous episode, find your your support system and celebrate with them. I mean, there's a lot of change going on, so I feel like this part 1 is going to be really helpful for those that are transitioning to uh, becoming a resident and possibly even moving to a different state. So, we're going to talk about the pros, cons, moving, the area, what you should do, all of that fun stuff. And uh, hopefully it helps you a little bit and our advice can help. So yeah, very excited for you guys in general. You, and I mean, it's such an exciting time and you, I was kind of the same way where I was, you know, trying to register for NAPLEX and PJE and all that fun stuff. And I don't know if I really took that time for myself to actually bask in that celebration. And this is definitely a time where if you've ever been thinking about doing a trip or some type of event, especially with friends and family that are in the area where you're going to school. If you're doing residency out of state or that's far away, now is more than ever the time to get that trip scheduled. I was so glad when my family said, hey, we're going to go to Nashville in in June. Are you and you and your wife going to go? It's like, uh, yeah, I as much as I'm thinking like, no, I really should be studying for my NAPLEX or studying for the MPJE. I was about to move halfway across the country to where it was going to be even more difficult to do a trip like that. And I'm so glad I made that decision to say, we're going, we're going on that trip. In a way too, is also my little sister's graduation gift for her. So it's like, uh, yeah, I probably should not be skipping on something like that or no, not graduation gift. It was her 21st birthday. Gosh. I'm a, ter- I'm a terrible brother. <laughs> Definitely take time for yourself. Celebrate. It's a really exciting time and uh, you definitely deserve it. Worked very hard for this. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, on top of, you know, getting to spend time with family, getting to go to Nashville, that was a ton of fun. So do that. Like if you've been holding off, putting off that trip because you're so busy in pharmacy school, let me tell you, it doesn't slow down in residency. It doesn't slow down in PGY2. It doesn't slow down like post, like whenever you start getting into your career. So take that trip. Yes, I, I can agree with that. Unfortunately, I didn't have the funds to take a trip, but because I was planning on on moving and I knew it was going to cost a lot. So, but I did have friends that actually ended up going to Europe and all these fun places. And that was, yeah, I'm jealous. I wish I could do that, but. Man, I wish I could have been like, all right, I'm actually going to Paris. Right. See you all the week. <laughs> uh, bye guys. Going to Cancun. Uh, see you in a bit. I wish, but uh, yeah, I think. A lot of people did that. And looking back, I think it was very important for them to get that break, that much needed break, at least before you start residency, because it's going to be, you know, you're going to go, 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 go for a year, two years, et cetera. And you, you know, you need that time for yourself. So it's really important and definitely take that, take that time, do something fun. It doesn't even have to be, you know, spend money. Just take that, take that time for yourself or just going to the beach if you can or a lake or whatever it is, <laughs> something, pool. <laughs> Great advice for someone in Florida. It might be challenging for someone that might be I know. Minnesota. Well, now I'm in Detroit. I'm like, oh, you can't go to uh, the lake. <laughs> the lake. You can go to the lake. <laughs> I think moving on to after, you know, celebrating your accomplishments is it's really important to research the area. So you took that time, you celebrated. Hunter, what is really important when you were thinking about moving? What did you do? to research uh, the place you were moving to? Well, for starters, I realized that July and well, June through August is a busy, busy time for people to move. So it is, it is very wise to start looking at where you want to move early rather than later. You don't want to be struggling to identify housing late in the game. I think in both times, both going to Florida and going to Minnesota for both different residency years, I think I had a lease signed at the end of April, if not beginning of May. That's probably faster than many others, but I also wanted to make sure I got a good, I got what I wanted. And also like, as you get closer to sometimes your, the rent raises may happen (laughs) by the time you get to that point. So, I mean, that's, I mean, right now, like the apartments that I'm looking at where I'm moving to, like, I will probably get a lease signed, hopefully middle of April, no later than the end of April. But there's also the challenge of how do you identify an apartment that you like? You know, you have to balance, all right, what is my stipend going to allow me to do? Do I have, am I going to have roommates? Um, I'm fortunate. I have a significant other who I've dragged across the country with me. So I have that roommate to add on. Lucky you. Can't say the same. (laughs) I wish. Well, I mean, I also have to take into consideration what she wanted in the apartments. And I felt like in many cases it was finding an apartment that she wanted, but. That's true. That's true. So whenever you're looking at apartments, I think one of the best things to do is if the current resident class hasn't sent out information about what the housing is, feel free to reach out to them ahead of time and say, hey, you know, I'm looking at apartments in the areas. Can I get your suggestions? Oftentimes you can just copy and paste what they did before because not all residents are in a situation like me where my significant other is going with me wherever many, many of the time it's a, it's a single resident that's go- or an individual that's going. So 
find out what they've done before. Word of mouth is much more trustworthy than trusting the landlord's postings. Exactly, or <laughs> Craigslist. Right. And definitely get in contact with the the current residents. I know when I was uh, going through this the same process, they sent out like a whole Excel sheet of different places where you can live, and it was super helpful. And they also sent out like certain um, areas to avoid or certain areas to avoid just due to weather, flooding, things like that, depending on where you're moving to. So I found that to be really helpful. And then also, if you do connect with the current residents, some of them are moving out or leaving the area right when you're coming in. So sometimes you might get lucky and you can just transition straight into their apartment that might even be furnished. So definitely reach out to the current residents because you never know if they're selling furniture, anything like that, or you can even, yeah, just move in. So, uh, I would, I think that's, that's a really good, I'm gl- I'm glad you brought that point up about furnished apartments because whenever I got to Florida, one of the PGY twos there, he was like, Oh yeah, I just got a furnished apartment because he was from California going to Florida. And he was like, I was not about to pay to ha- move all this stuff out here or, or even get a U-Haul and buy new stuff like, nope. And he just got a furnished apartment. And I think he was paying maybe a couple hundred more a month than me, but I had to U-Haul all of our stuff. Well, actually for, for Florida, we sold everything, but we still had, we still had our caravan of cars. That was still a lot of stuff. And that was, that was a lot of money and time to transport that stuff. It would have been so nice to just show up to an apartment with all the stuff there, especially with this not staying and going somewhere else, like having to do that process again. And we're doing it again now going from Minnesota to St. Louis. Yeah. I definitely learned my lesson too. I think the first time I moved from Rhode Island down to South Carolina, I moved by myself and I packed up my car as best as I could. And then I got a third party moving company, I think that I found online and it was very sketchy. Don't recommend doing that. Um, Didn't know if my stuff was going to make it. It did. But it was just a very it was it was a nightmare, and uh, it eventually came. But I think the moral of the story is that I spent way too much money on doing that when I could have literally sold all of my furniture on Facebook Marketplace before I left Rhode Island, and then just bought brand new furniture in uh, in South Carolina. And I wish I did that. So I learned my lesson, and the next time I moved from South Carolina to to Detroit, I sold everything. And moved into a furnished apartment and it was probably the best idea that I have ever had. And I wish I could tell my, uh, you know, past self to do that. But you learn, you live and you learn. And these are just things that other people kind of experience. So maybe if you're listening, you can take that advice and uh, think about that. Especially if you're moving from New York to California, it's going to be really tough. And uh, you have to think about do you need a car where you're living? Uh, can you walk to work? Uh, all those fun things. So definitely research the area too and where you're going to be living. Yeah, that's something I didn't I didn't really appreciate until coming to Minneapolis. So many of the of my co-residents they don't drive to to work, and to me that's like all I've known is commuting. I've always been in an area where I commute. But the fact that it's like oh I just take public transportation and go to the hospital, I'm like. The fact that you're not having to pay like car payments on top of like car insurance and all the gas and literally what you pay every day is just the ticket to ride that. That is so much money saved and also much healthier to be walking as opposed to 
just sitting in your car for 45 minutes like my commute right now. Sitting in traffic and, oh, but at least you have time to listen to podcasts. Exactly. That is that is the only benefit to the extensive long time that I spend in traffic is I get to go through so many podcasts. See, I don't. I just walk straight to work and and I just but I also miss listening and listening to music in the morning and just kind of relaxing before I uh, start my day. So, I do miss it a little bit. But yeah, definitely pros and cons for sure. And it's just going to depend where you you move to and if you want to drive. I think it's if you're in the hospital all the time, which you probably will be as a resident, it will help if you are closer to the hospital. And I didn't realize how important that is, but leaving a like a late night shift and only having a 10 minute commute is is amazing uh, opposed to an hour, you know, and you don't have that much time as a resident. So that hour you're commuting back and forth, that, that could equal two hours and that's pretty much all your free time for the day. So just think about that. I didn't think even a 15-minute commute was that bad until I had friends that lived five minutes away. And I was like, wow, I wish I lived five minutes away, not 15. So Right. Yeah, I made the mistake in I in locating apartments in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, my wife and I, like, we have what we're looking for in an apartment. And one of the things that was most important to us was safety. Well, the apartment we wound up going for was mostly my idea. And this is probably one of the most important things for anyone who's getting an apartment and you expect there to be a, a long commute. And when I say long commute, like it's going to be 15 to 20 minutes. Look at what the commute is during rush hour. Oh my gosh, big mistake. Super stupid mistake on my part because when I was in Florida typing in, all right, from this apartment in Plymouth, Minnesota to the University of Minnesota Medical Center, 20 minutes. Okay, if you put that in during rush hour, it's 45 minutes. And oftentimes that's an underestimate. Wow, I did not. I see, I, I got tips from from current or previous residents and they told you know, certain areas not to live just because of rush hour. But I didn't think about that. Definitely, definitely do that because it can, it can add on an hour. It, it's, it's insane. So that's really smart. Yeah, that's what we've been, that's what we've been doing now. So my wife and I carpool to, cause like I'll go to work and then she'll carry on and go to her workplace cause it's not too far away. And that's been one of the things we've been talking about in the morning is, Hey, here's this apartment we're looking at in St. Louis we're already in rush hour right now. Like, all right, just throw it in right now and see what the commute from work to that to the apartment is. Like, oh, cool. There's not a lot of traffic even at this time. So yeah, definitely do that if you're thinking of living somewhere a little bit farther away where you want to commute. I will say it is so much quieter out here though, living in a suburb. Like there are pros and cons to this, but I mean, the other, I want to say in the fall. Yeah, it was in the fall it was the cutest thing ever. Like right outside our apartment complex, there was a, like a little I'm trying to think of the right term for it. It was a parade, but it was more like a, yeah. Like a block party type of thing. Block party. Yes. Yeah. That's a better descriptor of it. That's something you're not going to get in most of downtown Minneapolis to my understanding. It's so different too, because I'm in, I'm currently in the process of moving and moving from kind of the downtown city to now more of like you said, the suburbs it's, it's definitely different and there's a lot of pros and cons too. So I can, I can relate. It's nice being able to walk outside and, and, um, not be stressed about safety. And- 
<laughs> yeah, no, I guess yeah, not be stressed about the safety, but like actually having a garden, like actually having grass to, to look at, not just a concrete building. So it, it's different, but it's it's good different, and it's just sort of your preference, whatever you prefer. So I, I like both. I, I I'm glad I got to experience both uh, both sides to it. I I mean, I know crime safety is very important. Did you, I know for me, I looked at this one app. I don't know if you can find it on online too, but you can basically see the crime areas within certain um, areas, neighborhoods, right? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. I I know what you're talking about. I forget what the name of it was. I know what I was using before it stopped working. I don't know if it just lost its funding or whatever, but that's what I use to look at the area. It's like, okay, what kind of crime is in this area? Like, okay, a drug paraphernalia charge. Like I'm not as concerned about that, but oh, homicide report or like three murders. Like, yeah, I don't think I want to live in that apartment complex. It's going to be worth spending a little more money to go somewhere else. That's a bit safer, but yeah. Yeah. Not all crime is like, you need to avoid it like the plague, but if it says homicide, murder, sexual assault, I think I'm going to try and not be in that yeah. area. Yeah, sometimes you can't help it, but like I said, you, you can just talk to the residents and see what their thoughts are, and they'll they'll give you good recommendations because they've been there for for a while, so they know it uh, hopefully pretty well. And I also think it's important to look at the weather. So I moved down down south, and I didn't think about flooding. Well, I mean, I thought about it, but I didn't realize how, you know, different it is. And just, I mean, you're, you're familiar with Florida too, hurricane season. And I just wasn't, I just it didn't really cross my radar. So I think it's really important if you are moving somewhere, look at the weather patterns. Are you living by a lake? Are you living by the coast? Is it, you know, when winter comes, will there be flooding? Will you have to worry about those types of things? Can you get to work? So I needed to make sure that I was in a place where if it did flood, I was, I was one safe, but I also could get to my job, uh, especially if I was, you know, in an emergency situation. So definitely think about that. Yeah, that's a good point because that was something I did not appreciate about being in an area where like when I was in Florida, like, yeah, there was a tropical, well, a hurricane that went down to a tropical storm that hit Gainesville. I was like, oh, okay, guess I'm driving to work in a hurricane, now a tropical storm. And that was a little intimidating, but, you know, being from the Midwest, like, you drive in thunderstorms. Like, it's, I had that. But I was not ready for a Minnesota blizzard. I was going to say, also. That was, oh my gosh, that was so scary. See, see, I think, one, that is scary, but also, another important thing, think about your car. What are you bringing if you are commuting, let's just say, and you're not walking and you're not in the city. If you are commuting, what kind of car do you have? Because I know I had to buy a new car to wherever I was moving because one, my car was it was on its last leg. But um, if you're moving to somewhere where it's snowing, it's going to blizzard, you want to make sure you have a safe car too. So just think about it. I'm not I'm not advocating for you to go buy a new car right now, but just start, start to kind of think about those things. Like if you are commuting and you don't have – a four-wheel drive car and you are going up to upstate New York, think about how far you are going to be from the, you know, from the uh, hospital. Or if you have a roommate that has a four-wheel drive car, maybe get a roommate and just to kind of save that and carpool just in case. So definitely think about that. I think that's important too. Yeah. If I hadn't had prior experience driving in the snow, I 
I don't know if I would have been able to continue to drive an Altima in this right in those days where <laughs> where it's like you can't see the road it's just straight snow uh, my poor little two-wheel drive car from California just didn't didn't make it out in the east coast New England weather it one inch of snow and it was done for it, it would not move it was terrible and I learned my lesson and a jeep <laughs> I was over it I was over all that uh now that's how that. that, oh. that's how you tell whether I'm in mm-hmm. charge now is you buy a jeep. and it's not even like a, it's it's a it's an okay car but it was just I was I was so done not have like missing work and being late because of car issues it was just not fun so you found out you matched and the most stressful thing is it's a state that you're not familiar with their laws you got to take a law exam in a state that, sure, you were thinking about that you may be going there because of residency, but now the realization has hit and you now get to study Florida law or Missouri law or California law. Ooh, <laughs> CPJ. Ooh. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so I can easily summarize the advice I have for exam stuff. It's just ask the, the current residents. Clearly it worked for them because they're there. <laughs> yeah. I, I also found when I did move to a different state, I knew some people in South Carolina already that went to pharmacy schools there. So if you know friends or you've met people at conferences or net or networked with people, ask them if they know somebody in this state and what they've learned in their law class. I'm sure they'll be happy to send over resources as well. But yes, the current residents should have a good uh, you know study stockpile for you guys uh, going into it yes uh, like likewise i even did that for my for the job that i just got i asked my hiring manager i said hey do you have law resources and i've got resources i asked and actually it was kind of fun i asked one of the current residents i was like hey what did you use to help you pass your law exam got some more resources that way so yeah it was helpful uh, as for the fees, oh my gosh, I don't think people talk about this enough. In pharmacy school, you get told that it's expensive to get licensed, but it's a lot. And if you are not ready to brace that sh- that those fees, it can it can put you into financial hurt. That makes it hard to start residency. Uh, so I mean, I would estimate both because I'm now getting licensed three times. It's been almost $1,200, $1,400, I would estimate, from the cost of you know NABP just applying or the reciprocity process. Literally just starting that process, it's almost five to $600. You're registering for the MPJE. There's almost like $250 there. There's all the prep materials that you want. There's If you do the pre-NAPLEX or pre-MPJE, there's another, like I think, $75 per test. There's all of the... Uh, like every state has some different rule about the background check or the fingerprinting. And there's a bunch of fees there, like the cost to get fingerprinted, the cost for the background check, the cost to you know pay someone to do your fingerprints. Like you're paying fees for someone to run it and then perform the test. Uh, and then something new for me this time was I had to get my application notarized. So I had to go and pay a notary fee and then pay to ship it. So like there's, it adds up a lot. Um, I, I, I can't tell everyone like, oh, save X amount of dollars, but just be ready. 
that's a it's a big expense. Yeah, I, even like paying for the resources just to study for the NAPLEX and PJE, and then trying to get licensed in a new state. It's just it's so much money, and also you just came out of matching and applying to all these different programs, and that's thousands of dollars. And so you're you know you're already in the hole, and it's just it's even more, and you don't think about these things and. I actually had to postpone my NAPLEX because I, I couldn't afford it for quite some time. And, um, and you know, I, I was honest with my RPD about that too. I was like, hey, I, I literally don't have the funds right now to to sit and take it like everyone else has that luxury. Uh, I just, you know, I had, to, I had to save money. And sometimes that just happens. But uh, def- definitely think about things like that. And moving too. I had all the moving expenses. So it was it was a lot. It was definitely a lot. When I was a P two, yeah, I think I was I was a second year pharmacy student. I asked one of the one of the instructors. I was like, "How do people like deal with residency or with like the graduation residency process and licensing?" He was like, "Oh, they just take out a bunch of money on credit cards." And I thought they were kidding, but no. Oh my gosh, that yeah. Oh yeah, it's true. I mean, you have to do what you have to do. I even like, you don't want to get kicked out of residency. I even saved for it. <laughs> Right. I even like I one of my goals when I was like a first year student, I was like, you know, what? I want to save as much as I can to really help like give me a cushion through fourth year. I saved like four or five thousand dollars. Still, I felt like that wasn't enough to balance all that stuff. Like, no, that barely, barely gets you by. It feels like at least. Yeah. Well, I think that was a good I think we hit on a lot of important things, at least in this first part series. Right. We could talk about this for hours, but this is just the the things that came to mind first of like, man, at least start the conversation and be aware of those those items. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And there's a lot more we can touch upon and and talk about. And I'm excited for part two and part three as well. Uh, when we talk about transitioning from resident to a resident, PGY1, PGY2, PGY2, and either, uh, you know, being an appy student or P4, P3, I guess, depending on the college, and then transitioning to a job or a resident to job like you. And you definitely have some good advice, and I'm excited for you to share what you have with all of us. Yeah, and I can tell you what's working and what's not working pretty <laughs> soon. <laughs> oh, I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear that. Um, but yeah, I think that that kind of wraps this up. I think that's uh, we, we touched on some good good things. Do you want to do uh, peaks and troughs? Oh, yes. Um I've I've got a great peak I'm super excited about. Uh, it's something I've been working on for a while. Um, but one of the one of the things I've been super excited about in my residency class is I got tasked with starting the social media uh, social media program for the health system. So I've been the one working on like the formal submission, laying out our strategy, and literally yesterday I got the email saying not only did they approve it, but it was the most like thorough and well thought out social media proposal plan that they had received. Oh, wow. And the only reason they didn't give me a perfect score was we didn't have a budget. Oh, <laughs> they were like, yeah, we, we, we couldn't give you those points because we like to see people with a budget. It's like, all right, well, this is all slave labor from residents. So there, what there ain't budget? no money coming this way. Exactly. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say there's no money. <laughs> it's all free labor. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's awesome so, though. And I, yeah, I mean, so, I'm sure you could use a podcast to your advantage too, because you yeah, have that. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a good peak. 
That's a good P. Um, I, so I was working on this, uh, this, pa- uh, this paper to get submitted and we finally found out that, uh, well, one of the fellows in our lab, he was first author and, uh, finally got published. So I'm very excited. It's one of my first, uh, publications to date. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Trough. What's your trough? I think my trough is going to be, uh, I'm really realizing that I am biting off so much more than I can chew, mainly with uh, conference attendance. So I have all of these conferences that I want to attend and participate in, but I'm, you know, quickly realizing like, I don't have the finances to go to these conferences and also move across the country, get licensed, all that stuff. And so, you know, I'm, I'm realizing like, oh man, I like, even though I'm like super excited for Mad ID, like I may not be able to attend because of how expensive conferences are. Like I've used up my entire residency stipend for travel because of ID week and, and mid-year. There's also the Epic user group conference that's in at like the end of August. Like, I mean, technically I wouldn't be a resident anymore. So it'd be almost entirely coming out of my budget. And then there's also going to ID week for my project. So it's like, realistically, can I go to three conferences in the next six months or seven months? Yeah. I think the tough thing too with that is it is, it's, it's expensive and a great learning opportunity. But if you can try to look into travel awards or if you are presenting, see if you can get a travel award, because I know that's how I mainly afford conferences as I submit research or something along those lines. And I present at these conferences and they usually at least get half off or if not, uh, you know, uh, free. So definitely look into those student or resident things. Um, I know you're definitely yeah. trying for that. <laughs> I know now you can't, but it's still good for CE opportunity. Now that you're an actual pharmacist and making salary, good money, they're gonna they're gonna get you. So, so my trough, oh, I don't know if it's like my trough. I, I'm pretty stressed because I have a a poster presentation this Saturday, but I'm excited. So I don't know if that would necessarily be a trough. It's just the data isn't necessarily there right now, but I'll find out tomorrow morning. <laughs> so I'm a little anxious. And I got to submit the poster pretty soon. But I mean, the data looks pretty good. It's just, I want it obviously to be perfect. And, uh, you know, research is not always going to be perfect. So it's something that I'm learning and kind of just adjusting myself to what I can. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully that trough turns into a peak. Yeah. And, Saturday, so. and pharmacotherapy is a trough turning into a peak a good thing? Because I feel like for our podcast, it's a good thing. <laughs> but for the theme of peaks and drops, <laughs> <laughs> probably not great. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Hey, yeah, uh, you're an undetectable tobermycin is actually 40 now. Uh- <laughs> I know. Good point. Good point. All right. Well, I think that's uh, that was a good first part series, and I'm excited for part two and three. Yeah, I think that wraps up this segment. Um, if if anyone has questions on, you know, they want to hear more about on the specific section, you can go to our link tree that shows you, you can contact us. Uh, if you want to, you can also just email us directly at pkpdpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I try and keep up to date with responding on there. Uh, but you can also message us directly through our 
our link tree that has our social media and all the different places that you can find us and listen to. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely be sure to follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, pretty active there. I know Hunter posts a lot. LinkedIn. I'm managing the LinkedIn page. It's been fun just... (laughs) Yeah. LinkedIn. (laughs) There's just so many things you just learn. Um, Yes. And then the Instagram will, will be updated soon. So... Yeah, well said. Well, we'll see everybody on the next part where we'll look at, you know, the transition from resident to resident, from PGY1 to PGY2. There's a lot to talk about. All right, we'll sign off now.